Our scripture reading this morning is from John chapter 10. I will be reading verses 22 to 30. John chapter 10, verses 22 through 30. At that time, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe, because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. This is the word of the Lord. As I have noted a couple of times in this series, Behold the Lamb, there are these themes in the Gospel of John that just pick up somewhere near the beginning of the book, and then it's like an echo, but instead of dying away in many cases, that echo is just growing louder. It's resonating with the other themes in the Gospel of John and just drawing us inexorably to that place where we truly behold the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. John is showing us all of these things. He's repeating the words of Jesus, and he's writing about the signs that Jesus did so that we may hear those things and believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that's the theme for the whole book. That's what ought to hold our attention through all of this. For all of the possible theological controversy, and that's not all bad, for all of the intricate little points of doctrine that we might find. And again, it's not bad to find those or to focus on them. The real overall focus of this book is Jesus Christ, the Son of God and how we can know him and come to him for light and life and salvation. There's some of those themes that we find repeated throughout this book. Another thing that comes up fairly frequently in the Gospel of John is this questioning about the identity of the Messiah. We're going to see that in our text this morning. But it comes up before that and quite frequently, even before Jesus appeared on the scene in John chapter 1, the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to John the Baptist. And the reason they sent those priests and Levites was to go to John and say, Who are you? Are you the Christ? And John confessed and did not deny, but confessed. Kind of a little repetition, one of those things that the author throws in just to make sure that we are very clear on this. He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. But they sent those priests and Levites out to talk to him because the fact that he was baptizing and gathering so many disciples, not to himself, but to the Lamb who was to come, had led them to wonder, to speculate about whether or not he might have been the Christ. And in John chapter 2, when Jesus drove those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons 
and the money changers out of the temple, the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? In other words, who are you to come in here and to tell us how to worship and to upset our whole way of life? And in chapter 4, as we saw, the woman at the well in Samaria went back into Sychar, and she said to all the people there, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And a similar expression shows up in John 7, when some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? And there are several other examples that I could cite, but... With these examples, it's worth noting that every time they asked, every time they probed Jesus, contrary to what some have thought, he answered them. He answered them with some word or deed confirming the truth that he was indeed the one for whom they had been waiting. Here in verse 22 of John chapter 10 as well, At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place in Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon, so the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And in verse 25, Jesus answered them, I told you. He had done it again and again and again. Every time they asked, he would answer that question in so many different ways. It's just self-evident in the Gospel of John. From all of the I am statements, John 5, 17, Jesus answered, my father is working until now, and I am working. Four times, no less, in John chapter 6, some variation on the theme, I am the bread of life. In John 8, verse 12, also 9, verse 5, I am the light of the world. And in John 8, verse 58, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they came and they said, Tell us plainly, don't keep us in suspense, come on. Are you the Christ or not? And I wish that I could hear the tone of voice that Jesus used when he turns to them and says, I told you, I told you again and again and again. Because it's not that they didn't understand. A couple of weeks ago, we saw in John 8, verse 59, that after Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am, they took up stones to stone him, not because they didn't understand, but because they did They understood precisely who he was saying he was, and they thought that was blasphemy, so they thought they would stone him. And in John chapter 10, when they ask him, if you are the Christ, tell us plainly, the problem is not that Jesus hadn't told them. He had. Rather, as he answered them in John chapter 10, verse 25, I told you, and you do not believe. So the problem wasn't in the way that he was expressing himself. He wasn't being obscure. He was being very clear. The problem wasn't that there weren't plenty of witnesses to the fact that he was the Christ, the Son of the living God. John the Baptist had come and gathered these multitudes. And when he saw Jesus, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
And if there had been no other evidence, that would have been enough. But the Father himself bore witness through the words of Scripture. Jesus said, if you believed Moses, you'd believe me, because Moses was writing about me. And he spoke of himself, and he said, yes, I am he, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. And the works that he did also bore witness. He told them over and over, but they did not believe. James Montgomery Boyce once told the story of a young man who was brushing off the gospel as he attempted to share it with this young man. And the young man kept saying, it's all mere semantics. He comments somewhat humorously that he thinks that semantics was maybe a new word for the fellow because he used it about 20 times in the single conversation. But then he goes on to say, I acknowledged that it is sometimes hard to define words, particularly theological words. Theology is the art of defining precisely what certain words mean and do not mean. But at the same time, I denied that this was any excuse for failing to grapple with the precise demands of God made in Scripture, or for refusing to alter one's life accordingly. The young man would not accept this, however, so he continued to use semantics as an excuse for failing to believe on Jesus Christ. And this is the part that echoes John 10. He also, Boyce writes, so it seemed to me, blamed God for his problem. For he was suggesting that things would be very different had God only expressed himself more clearly. But Jesus comes along and he says, I told you. I told you quite plainly. And I showed you. And the Father has borne witness. And the prophets have borne witness. You know this. But like that young man, they were saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. But Jesus had told them, and as I've mentioned already, he points out again here that even the works that he did bore witness to him. About the middle of this chapter in the Gospel of John, there will be some people saying, you, you have a demon. You, you must be crazy. And others were saying, can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Referring back to John chapter 9. So there's this controversy over him. But really, if you stop to think about it, you know, can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Why would a demon do that? So Jesus had told them, and he had showed them. More still, he said, the works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe, because you are not among my sheep. So it's not about whether or not he was clear. It's not about whether or not they were hearing what he was saying. We come to the root of the problem here, and it's a demonstration of a truth that goes all the way back to John chapter 1, verse 11. He came to his own, we were told, and his own people did not receive him. And that's exactly what's happening here. It's what's been happening ever since John 6, when that multitude of people in Galilee turned back from following him. And instead of thousands upon thousands of disciples, Jesus was left with the twelve. And he said, well, you too go away now. And the twelve replied, where would we go? You, you have the words of eternal life. But Jesus noted, well, even one of you is going to turn back. I chose you, and yet one of you is a demon. 
And this is the root of the problem here. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But before we move on, it's worth remembering exactly who Jesus is speaking to in John chapter 10, because this is one of those chapters, beloved by many, that often gets lifted out of its context and just sort of held out as a standalone piece of Scripture. But Jesus is speaking to the very same group of people who had questioned him after the healing of the blind man that Pastor Matt spoke about last Sunday. In chapter 9, verse 40, Jesus is interacting with that blind man, and some of the Pharisees near him heard these things, and they were insulted. They said, are we also blind? And then Jesus said to them, if you were blind you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. And then chapter 10, verse 1, there's no break between these two verses in the Greek versions of Scripture. If you were blind, you would have no guilt, but now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Truly, truly. Amen, amen. In Greek, let it be so. Truly, truly, I say to you, that is, to the same people of whom he just said, your guilt remains. He who does not enter by the sheepfold, but by the door, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, excuse me, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. So chapter 10 starts off with Jesus basically accusing the Pharisees, the leaders of the Jews, of being sheep wrestlers, not sheep. And at the bottom line, this is the problem. You do not believe because you are not among my sheep. You're actually among those who are stealing sheep. And how did Jesus know this? Why was he able to speak so authoritatively to this group of people? Well, it's simple, really. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. See, Jesus was confident that if the people he was speaking to had been among his sheep, then they would, in fact, have heard his voice. Just like the man in chapter 9. After he had been put out of the synagogue, he'd been kicked out. They said, truly, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And Jesus sought him out, and he asked him, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have seen him, which was incredible, as Matt took you through that story last Sunday. A man born blind had opened his eyes after having them anointed with mud and seen the Savior of the world, first sight. What an incredible thing. But Jesus doesn't just leave it there. He says, truly, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And this sheep of Jesus' own keeping heard his voice and followed. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. My sheep hear my voice, said Jesus, and I know them, and they follow me. It's really that simple. Over all the myriads of voices speaking in the world at any given moment, over all the voices of those false shepherds who come to steal, kill, and destroy. The sheep who belong to Jesus hear the voice of their shepherd, 
And having heard, they turn and they follow him. And no wonder, those who hear his voice, those who abide in his word, to borrow that metaphor from chapter 8, they belong to him, they are his, he knows them, because they belong to him by the decree of God the Father. We saw this all the way back in John 6, verse 37, where Jesus said, all that the Father gives me will come to me. All that the Father gives will come. Not some will come, all will come. Not all that the Father gives may come, but all that the Father gives will come. Those of you who are from these parts and are familiar with some of that stuff in the back of the Grace Altar Hymnal will recognize a few of these promises and principles that Jesus lays out here in John chapter 10 because we might call this one irresistible grace. When God works to call people to himself, <clears throat> when he gives those people to Jesus, they are drawn in such a way that they inevitably come. All that the Father gives me will Come, so of course he knows them. They're his by divine fiat. They belong to him because the Father has given them to him. And Jesus said himself in verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. The good shepherd knows his own sheep as well as it is possible for a finite human being to be known by the infinite. Completely, in other words. He knows us absolutely. There's nothing about our lives that can come as a surprise to the good shepherd. He knows what's in our heart. He knows the wickedness there that he had to die for, and he knows the grace that God planted there through the power of the Holy Spirit when he made us his very own. He knows us and we know him as the Father knows him and he knows the Father. You can't be known any better than that and yet he loves more absolutely than we have ever been loved by anyone in this world. Jesus knows his sheep that well that's promise number one here in this chapter. And his sheep hear that word. They hear that promise. And they believe and they abide in that promise. And they know that it's true. And the truth that they belong, not to themselves. We are not our own. We do not belong to ourselves. Our lives are not ours to do with as we please. But this truth that we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ makes us truly free because we hear and we hear the promises of the shepherd. The second promise I want to call to your attention is found in verses 27 to 29. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. We might call that one perseverance or the preservation of the saints. Jesus knows those whom the Father has given to him. He calls them by name. He calls them through his word and spirit. And they are drawn to him. 
And when they come to him, he gives them eternal life. Not, I will give them eternal life after they die. In the meantime, they'll have to muddle through with the same kind of life as everybody else. He says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. When we come over to John chapter 11, if the Lord is willing, next Sunday we're going to see Jesus changes the whole paradigm of life and death. When he says this, I give them eternal life, they will never perish. He who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And he who lives and believes in me shall never die. We get all wrapped up in physical death and illness and weakness and the struggles of this life as if these were the most important realities with which we have to do. And in truth, Jesus says, they're so unimportant that physical death is not even death. It is not death to die, as the song says. Jesus spoke of Lazarus who had fallen asleep, and we'll see this next Sunday, unless you want to stay, and I'll do both sermons now. Um, but he spoke of Lazarus, and he said, our friend Lazarus is asleep. And his disciples thought, well, good, because they're thinking of physical things. If he's asleep, that means the fever is broken. He will live. And then he, no, no, wait. He's not asleep in that way. He's dead. And we're going to go do something really remarkable, and we'll be seeing that next week. But Jesus gives eternal life to his sheep in this life. When we come to him by faith, it's not a promise of some blessing to come. It's a promise of what we already possess, what we have been sealed to by the Holy Spirit. We have it now. And of course then we can say, why should I be afraid? What can man do to me? We can drop a nuclear bomb on my house. doesn't matter. I belong to God, body and soul, in life and in death. Why would I be afraid? of something as trivial as that. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. Not only that, no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. This is the perseverance of the saints. Jesus gives eternal life to all those whom the Father has given to him, and once that life has been given, it cannot be taken away, and it cannot be forfeited. We can't do something and lose our salvation, because the bill has already been paid. I give unto them eternal life, and they will never perish. Jesus holds us. The Father holds us. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are more than conquerors. In all of these things, all of these worries and concerns that just circulate around us and fog the air, we are more than conquerors because we belong to him, body and soul, in life and in death. This is the promise of the shepherd to all who hear his voice and follow, and it stands because God keeps his promises. 
If you belong to him in life, then you belong to him in death. Same thing to him. We once were lost, but now we are found, and we cannot be lost ever again because God holds us and guides us by the hand through this life, and afterward he receives us to glory. We belong to him. We are the sheep of his pasture because he himself paid the price for our salvation, and that's promise number three. Look at verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He lays down his life for the sheep. We call that atonement, and it's pretty definite. The good shepherd had to lay down his life. That was the price for our salvation, and he laid his life down for the sheep, for those that the Father has given him. We were bought with a price. Peter wrote, you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Someone says Jesus didn't need to shed his blood for your salvation. Don't believe them. He did. That was the price that he was willing to pay and that God exacted in that act of justice where he poured out his wrath on Christ as Jesus satisfied him for our sin. And the price has been paid. We belong to him. We can belong to no other. It's a done deal. And we can rejoice in that because promise number four, verses nine and 10, I am the door, which is just another way of saying I am the good shepherd, but we don't have time this morning, so I'm not going to go into all of that. But Jesus said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Come to God through faith in Jesus Christ, believe that it's in him and him alone that God has been satisfied for the sins that we have committed and you will be saved. It's that simple. And he will be saved and he will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Again, there's people want to make, well, it's eternal life earlier, and it's abundant life here, and those are kind of different things, but not really. The eternal life that we've received in Christ when we trusted in him leads to this abundant life. Not just after the resurrection, but even now, even in this world, and we know this. And that's why I read Psalm 23 as the call to worship this morning. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. Long before he said that, the psalmist had sat down and recorded a song. The Lord, Yahweh, our covenant God, is my shepherd. Here and now, in this life, in all that we are going through, he is our shepherd. He leads us. He guides us. He will bring us home. We have been found and we can't be lost because he has paid the price through his son, Jesus Christ. And so he says, I shall not want. 
How could I want? How could I want anything in this world? Earth has nothing that I desire besides you and heaven, the same. He's the focus of our life. He's the desire. He's the goal. How could we want for the trinkets and trivialities of this world? He makes me lie down in green pastures. He provides for my needs. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my life, my soul. And he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And I could go on. But we all know this. This is what it means to belong to God. God leads us. And he provides for us. And he guides us. And he receives us to himself. That's the description of this abundant life in Christ Jesus. And these are the promises of God to those who believe. To those who hear and follow the voice of the Good Shepherd, our Savior, Jesus Christ. What more can he said? The hymn writer said, what more can he say than to you he has said? He has spoken plainly. He has told us plainly. His words and his works bear witness that he is the Christ, the Son of God, and the Savior of all those who believe. He said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So hear his voice this morning, speaking through the words of Scripture recorded by the Apostle John. Hear his voice. Turn to him in faith. Acknowledge that you have no hope apart from him, and then follow him, for he has promised. And this is the promise of God. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. That is truly the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, give us ears this morning to hear what you are saying by your word and spirit to the church, to each one of us gathered here and to each one gathered in some other place by some other means. Lord, we ask, give us ears to hear the voice of our shepherd, Jesus Christ. Help us to know him, and Lord, knowing him, knowing his voice, to follow him and to know that we belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to our faithful Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen.